Well, boys and girls, ladies and germs, I think it worked. We are here. It's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, Bluffsterini in the home games, and you can find all about me and the rest of the crew by going to rec.poker slash crew, because uh, we are a crew. It's not just me. I'm joined by this wonderful panel of wizards. Wizards, why don't you let the world know where they can reach you? Uh, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5 by 5 on Poker Stars and Twitter. And I'm John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 everywhere. And they are part of the team that brings this to your ears every week. Uh, the rest of the team is our fantastic sponsors, Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. So uh, normally, I would say every week, we are fighting against each other in the Rec Poker nightly home game, but we're actually recording a little early, so we're not stealing chips from anybody right now. We're going to have to wait for a future episode to be stealing chips from each other. But just like every week, we are going to take one forum post from the Rec.Poker forums and examine it here amongst the group. So every once in a while, we like to let Chris choose a forum post of his own. Um, we rolled the dice. This was his birthday month. Um, so, Chris, uh, we get to talk about a theory question post, because um, I know you've been getting the solver out and uh, burying yourself in the lab. So tell us a little bit about what made this interesting to you. Yeah, so I've been uh, playing around with um, the solver subsets, which if you don't know what a subset is, it's basically... Uh, a bunch of representational flops that you can look at. So it'll look at, you know, like a paired board, a monotone flop, um, all low, all Broadway, you know, ace high. It'll kind of look at some representational flops so that you can get an idea of like how you might play across an entire, uh, an entire range and an entire range of flops. Um, and so one of the things, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I've been finding as I did this, number one is it, it takes like, 22 hours for my computer to churn through all these but the other thing uh that i, I came up with something that actually has had me scratching my head uh and i i wanted to sort of post it as a uh, forum question so basically the scenario is pretty simple uh we're dealing with a hijack open and a big blind defend um and we go to a flop and the uh, big blind is checking and we're in the hijack spot. And I gave the solver the option to uh, go uh, open 30% pot. Uh, so uh, in, you know, this it would be like a couple big blinds, 80% pot. So like a five big blind, big raise. And then the thing that I was interested in learning or thinking about was, do we ever want to overbet on flops? And so I gave it the option to do um, 125% or, a, or about an eight big blind um, raise into a six big blind pot. Um, and so I ran those simulations uh, at um, short stacked, medium stacked and deep stacked. And the one that I'm really curious about is, so we're talking deep stacked play. We're in the hijack. We've opened, we've been called by the big blind. We've got a hundred big blinds effective. Um, and there were some flops that came up where the solver really wanted us across a huge portion of our range to do these over bets. Um, so uh, the, the flop that it wanted it the most of all the flops that I, it, there were 55 different flops in, in the scenario. And the one that it wanted us to do this the most was 10 of diamonds, eight of hearts, 
five of clubs. And that meant it meant it wanted us to, to go to this sizing 76% of the time. That includes our checking range. That includes all the other sizing. That's a lot. It's a That's lot. It's a lot. Right? There's a big it, it proportion meant, of all the available it meant, actions. Uh, you know, king jack offsuit, queen jack offsuit, uh, some random, uh, pretty much anything that kind of paired the five, the eight, the ten. Um, some some random gut shots, even lower than that, were like like six four offsuit. You know, if we had it, or six four suited, if we had it in our range. So it really kind of threw me a little. And, and there were some other flops that were like this. Uh, some other ones that it liked uh, were, it liked the 10, 10, 8, 5. Uh, mm-hmm. the, it liked the rainbow better, but it liked it uh, when it even had a flush draw. So it had, when it was 10 of diamonds, eight of hearts, five of diamonds. Um, it liked another one when it was nine, seven, four. Um, and it, so it, the, some of these similar kind of like, not quite full, like straighty, but sort of low, no broadways. Um, and it really likes this overbet on the flop. And I'm curious if A, um, if you've ever done this, because I never have, uh, and B, why you think when we're deep stacked, why you think that the solver is seeing on these kinds of flop types is really pushing us to think about this kind of sizing the the first the only thing that jumps out at me and and i have no idea and i am not solver savvy Uh, you know i work with a lot of different programs and software but uh, i haven't got dipped my toe into solvers as much as some of these guys but 1085 strikes me as the kind of board that the big blind's gonna have a piece of it quite a bit but the imposition player is still gonna have a better hand most of the time and so it feels like that's going to be a spot where you're going to see like ace 10 come up against queen 10. You're going to come up, you're going to see like jack eight come up against, um, you know, uh, I think the imposition player is going to have better kicker. The out of position player is not going to know as clearly whether they're ahead or behind. So again, just spitballing. I think it would be um, maybe beneficial to the imposition player to be playing a bigger range all most of the time because when they do when they're do when their hands do line up they get a chance to make a little more money yeah and i'll I'll just say also like kim kim mentioned in the chat how often do we check back on this flop um and so i will say right here that 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 my default on a flop like this on a 1085 flop um is to have a broader checking range but the solver really didn't like that i mean it it was only checking back about 10 to 12 percent of hands it was having some in that small sizing very little in that medium sizing and then a ton at that big sizing so my my Um, question chris was uh when you see a spot like this where the side where the solver really prefers this one action was there something in, it's hard to say what do the hands have in common that you take the action with because it's most of the hands. So was there something that the other hands had in common, the, the check back hands, the smaller sizing hands? Was there something about them that tied that, that we can kind of extrapolate the opposite from? That's an interesting uh, question. I need to think back on this. Uh, you guys keep talking. I'll pull it mm. up. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> we, had a, we had a conversation on Tuesday, last Tuesday in the OPA. And Adam Wolf was involved in it. And he, we were talking about this post. And one of the things that came up, especially on the 10-8-5 board, 
um, every straight in poker has to contain either a 10 or a five. And it can't contain both, obviously, but it has to have either a 10 or a five to be, to be a straight at all. Um, so you see 10, eight, five, obviously it has both of those cards in it. So it has the possibility of making a straight all the way from an ace low to an ace high. Um, I'm looking at it too and looking at the fact that um, you can make a straight with 10-8 and you can make a straight with 8-5. Um, so there's, there's a combination there that you can make a straight. So I'm wondering, um, are we trying to uh, lessen the odds of somebody calling with those gut shot type hands that can possibly make a straight on the turn in the river? And we're trying to just to get rid of them or give them the improper odds to call to try to hit that um, because their, their ranges are going to have those types of hands that are going to be able to make those straights more so than the hijack would. Hmm. So that's just a shot in the dark there. Yeah, and while Chris is looking up uh, some of that other stuff in the software, I just love that point. ARW, Adam, just has such these great insights about sort of like the pieces of the game, the math of the game. And this is just one of them. You know, um, one of the comments he makes out here is that I predict a lot of flops containing the 10 and 5 will on average be higher than flops with only one 10 or 5 and definitely higher than flops with neither a 10 or a 5. Without a 10 or a 5, the chance of a straight is much lower because it needs to hit the turn or river or be in your hand. And that's just a great way to be thinking about that. Yeah, Chris. So I, it was, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's kind of, it is kind of interesting. I've never really considered over betting on the flop. Uh, the spot where I use over betting is pretty much exclusively the river or, you know, all in if, if it's an all in type of play, then it could be anywhere. But I've never, honestly, I, I wanted to sort of like play around with this because I was, I, I had, I'd seen some players do this. Um, and I was sort of thinking, this has got to be a mistake. Like this can't be, this can't be something that you're actually supposed to do. Um, so, but I, that's why I was curious about it. So then I started running these and I'm like, oh, actually there are some times that at least the solver thinks you should be doing this now, whether that's right in the certain game and whether there's, you know, the right player pool to do these kinds of things and not everyone's playing GTO or whatever, but the solver, at least if you give it this option, there are some times when it really likes it. Uh, so, so for, for reference on this flop, uh, I did pull it up. Um, the, the hands that it really likes checking back. Uh, so remember, we've got a 10, eight, five flop. It likes things like, pocket fours, pocket sixes, pocket sevens, pocket nines. So, so some of the pocket pairs that are around this 10, eight, uh, five flop, it also likes a lot of the eights. So it likes uh, nine, eight suited, jack eight suited, queen eight suited. Uh, so some of the kind of the middle strength paired hands, uh, it likes those as checkbacks. Um, in terms of the, the, sort of the small sizing it it's it looks to be a lot of like uh suited aces that are unpaired but that have uh some backdoor flush equity those seem to be some of our smaller bets um it's also choosing some of that smaller sizing with some of those same pocket pairs so if it's not checking with 
pocket fours, pocket sixes, pocket sevens, pocket nines, pocket tens. Uh, it's betting small with them. Uh, and then the big bets are just a ton of the range, like a, t- like a ton of the range. Um, we're betting big, like this shock, we're betting big with pocket fives. We're betting big. So we're betting big with our sets. And I would just right. be like, I'm, I'm, what am I doing? I'm, I'm getting rid of everybody. Like we're betting big with pocket tens, pocket eights, pocket fives. We're betting big with uh, pretty much all of our tens, our ace 10 suited, our, 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 you know, whether they're suited or unsuited, ace 10, king 10, queen 10, jack 10. Um, over pairs we're betting big with jacks, queens, kings, aces, um, suited broadways that have some, you know, king, king jacks, king queens. You know, it's it's a ton of our range that's doing this. Um, so I don't know. I, I I think Rob, that's a good point. Like I think we're we are potentially this is a a a, a kind of a flop that will hit the big blind, but might not hit them that well sometimes and there might be some of these like straggling gut shots and that that we would just want to kind of clear the equity and get rid of some of these hands that might be able to catch up to us um but i i i mean i would never bet this size with a set on this board but maybe i should yeah it feels like it's one of those spots where (laughs) feels like it's one of those spots where it's like it's actually a flop that's hard to miss completely yeah. Right? Like that's part of the part of what we're talking, especially about. from a big blind. Right. Right. But it's also hard to smash it too. Right. And so maybe those are the kind of boards where it's like you, where the big blind is all is go, always going to have a nibble, but not a, not a big piece. Yeah. Maybe those are ones where we want to size up. That makes um, perfect sense to me. Cause then you're really leveraging that position and the range advantage. Um, so I can see that kind of like, it's consistent with the rest of that strategy. Um, so I do like that. Because when somebody does, if you're sitting there on a, if you even have like a hand, like, you know, it's 10, eight, five, if you have like nine, seven or Jack nine and somebody over bets the fly, I mean, what do you, you just, you're kind of sick to your stomach now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, cause I don't even know what the proper response then is uh, from, a, from a big blind in that, in that spot. Although I could tell you <laughs> <laughs> now. And when you guys are in a spot like that, like, Chris, you were saying, like, I can't believe they're big betting their sets here, for instance. And I think that's like, we think about these ranges um, and we're like building out the ranges and we're like, okay, I want to be able to make big bets with my sets. So how am I going to balance that with the rest of this? Or you say, okay, I want to be able to bluff big. So how do I get some value hands in that sizing instead? Um, Is there a way, and I'll throw it to anybody, but Chris, as the person who's kind of putting this together, it, how, how do you approach that kind of spot? I know in this case, the solver is kind of telling you, but I kind of feel like I'm always looking at spots where, you know, it's hard to get paid here as a value bet. So I should be reverse engineering a bunch of bluffs into here um, or something mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. do you think, do you think they're giving this big sizing because it favors the value part of their range? Or do you think they're choosing this big sizing because it favors the leverage that you get from being able to play big bets out uh, in position. You know what I mean? Like, which way are they balancing it? Are they balancing it up so that you can play your value hands with big big bets or are they balancing it so that you can bluff uh, on boards like this? I mean, it it looks like it's it's a really big mix of, um, you know, our very strongest hands um, mixed with 
all a lot of our kind of weaker hands that have some bit of equity um and that kind of like that that distribution makes sense right and right. I think what's interesting about this is that they're so wide. Yeah, yeah. The scale of it that's shocking to me. Like I would, I would, if you said, "Well, I'm going to do this with all my sets and maybe some like high equity draws or something like that," I'd be like, "Okay, yeah, good, go for it." But like, <laughs> like I, I don't know, because they're doing I, this with a lot of their like paired fives and stuff too, right? Like they're. I would be terrified hands. to do this with like Queen Jack offsuit, right? right. Like. <laughs> Like when they call me, what am I? What? A, oh my god! I guess you know I got two overs. I've got yeah, but like Queen Jack offsuit seems like to me that's like a good candidate for it. But like some of these other choices, like the I wouldn't put like a you know Ace Five or like you know King Five or whatever in that yeah. overbet size there because no, it it loves Ace Four suited. It's almost exclusively doing, um, you know, a massive overbet with dirty. I love it. Does it seem to be kind of a polarized uh, range that they're doing the overbets with? I mean, I mean, of, of yes. your whole range. It's like, <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how you can when when it's like seventy six percent of hands. It's but, yeah, there's just I mean, a gap like, in the middle. It's a lot of pole and not much in the middle, right? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So, so it must be something about. I think. Well, this is going to sound stupid, but like, yeah, duh. There's something about that board texture, right? So. Um, I really like that point about ARW about the uh, about the propensity for straights and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And it does make me think there's something about it that just makes it uh, intrinsically. Well, and I suppose yeah. the other thing that's interesting about about a, a a board like this is that although it it has a lot of like potential scary turn cards. It is it is very hard to have a very strong hand right now. Mm. Like there's there there are no straights, there are no flushes, there are no. So when we do this kind of bet, we're we are taking advantage of people who are who are really trying to like on right. And so, um, so we're able. I think we're able to get a lot of folds. Yeah. Um, and then when we when we do when we are called, we have those strongest hands in our range so that we can withstand people calling us and seeing those scary turns, I guess. So we do it with our pocket tens and pocket eights and pocket fives too. Well, let's hear what our friend uh, John Little has to say, and then we'll check in with a few more comments in the forums and uh, get us on out of here. Have you ever wondered whether you should call a preflop raise or three bet instead? What do you do when you have a flush draw? Do you raise it or do you just call? What do you do with ace king when you miss the flop? Are you tired of guessing about what the right play is with your particular hand? I'm so tired. Well, my name is Jonathan Little, and I am a two-time World Poker Tour champion and creator of PokerCoaching.com, where we offer over a thousand interactive hand quizzes where you play a hand and then get real-time feedback from our world-class pros. Don't guess and don't stress. Just register for your free account at PokerCoaching.com slash RecPoker right now. So there's one comment in here from Jamel. Uh, who's a very prolific uh, poster in the forums. And um, he talks a little bit about sort of the the theory of betting and sizing and how in, in most situations we have kind of a choice on a spectrum, if you will, between C betting small with 100% of our range and uh, uh, deploying our range, our range advantage and our positional uh, advantage. Or to polarized uh, to make a polarized large bet, 
um, with more overbets, the deeper we are. And uh, this is going to be with us, we would think normally with a smaller frequency. And that's why the bet's going to be bigger. And, and also because of the, the way that we're going to balance up with, with bluffs and, uh, and value. Um, and I think the point that Jamel makes here, which I really like, is that in practice, the C-bet, the smaller C-bet's easier to implement uh, because you get to have sort of a wider range that you're playing it with. Um, you don't have to worry about your check back range as much. It's sort of like a little more kind of cookie cutter textbook approach to it. And I think um, that's probably true for a lot of cases, but what Chris is drawing on here is that there are kind of some of these flops that have a, kind of an intrinsic value that means that you should think about sizing a little differently. And half, half the game is gonna be using tools like solvers to kind of find what are these interesting flops? What are the textures? What are the properties that make them interesting? The interesting thing about solvers, and if you think about uh, why no one's talked about this before, or why we haven't heard of this type of strategy before, is a lot of people in the solvers wouldn't even put in 125% to as a as a solve. So this is like throwing a new, um, uh, you know, a, a new di dynamic at it that it doesn't normally see. I mean, people don't normally put that in. You put in what right. you normally see in a in a game, and what you normally see in a game is not 125% right. uh, c bet. Right. So, and I wonder I how many never, other of these types yeah. of things we don't know about that we're missing out on because we're not giving the solver right. all the different options. I would never consider this if I hadn't started seeing it happen to me. And the other thing that I think is, is really interesting. Uh, so this is completely unrelated and obviously going to get us down a rabbit hole, but uh, I've been watching uh, some, have you ever watched the inside the mind of the pro series that Winamax puts out? It's, it's a YouTube series. It's really good. Uh, they follow one player through a tournament and they talk about their thinking and they film all their hands. But the, uh, so they were just, uh, uh, filming the French player Romain Lewis uh, in a Caribbean uh, poker tournament. And uh, it was interesting. He kept uh, in multi-way pots when uh, there were, uh, when it was a paired board, he kept uh, leading out uh, for one big blind because he was, and it was really interesting because it puts so much pressure on everybody and it's such a chicken board where you either have it or you don't. And if somebody's not going to let you, if it was like, say, a Jack-Jack-Six board, they're not going to let you get by with calling that one big blind board. They, they want more money to go into the pot if they have a Jack. So he knows immediately after that flop whether any of his opponents have a Jack. And he can play the rest of the hand in a really interesting fashion simply by making that one big blind bet on that paired board because it's multi-way. Uh, and that, that's the kind of stuff that I think is really fascinating to think about. All these kind of like ways that maybe when we're, we're thinking about the game, we're not playing, we're not taking some of these things because we've just never thought about it before. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about those kind of <laughs> spots. Yeah, and we talk a lot about sizing and how you can sort of contort your opponent's range uh, using different sizing and how, you know, if you can if you can leverage the same actions with a smaller size than with a larger size, sometimes that's advantageous. We don't really talk about it enough about how uh, opponents cap their range in response to these micro bets, because unless they're really leveling ahead enough that they're balancing their response to your micro bets, 
then um, that does really give you some insight, at least into kind of like the general kind of buckets that their hands could right. be in. And as Chris is saying, if you can tell them that you don't have a jack on a jack-jack six board, that is some helpful information helpful that you information. might be able to and refer so like, to later. There in the are hand. these, I think that what, what I think is interesting here is that I think there are ways that we, we want to play pretty, there are some really like standard ways that we play and we don't want to get too out of line, but I think there are some flops and scenarios where we want to have these sort of really small bets or really big bets in our arsenal. And we want to kind of not just pull them out randomly, but maybe start to understand why they're effective. And so like, in a multi-way pot, when it's a paired board, that could be a spot where we do that because we, we get some information from our opponents on a board like this. That's sort of like, kind of like, a you know, where the big blind has something, but they can't have, they can't have the goods very often. Uh, that might be one where we want to bet big in position. Um, and so, so learning those kind of like things can be really helpful, I think. And we, you know, we love taking these little general rules and being able to extrapolate out from that. So that's a perfect little piece for the puzzle here. Uh, we've got one last question from, uh, I think it's Kim in the chat here saying, do we call this a neutral board? Uh, feels pretty neutral. I mean, again, it, there are there are factors, like there's nuts advantage, there's equity advantage, like uh, it's not, I, I would call this a neutral board. What do you guys think, team? Neutral to slightly disadvantageous. I mean, I feel like, like from a pure equity perspective, I think the big blind's going to likely. Mm. It's like they're going to hit it with a wider portion of right. their range, but our the portion of our range that does hit it is going to have an equity advantage. Right. And we're going to have all the over pairs, and they're going to have very few of them. Um, so we're going to definitely have the nuts advantage here, and. Equity would be really interesting to sort of to play, but it feels pretty neutral to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, nice. Well, uh, I would like to thank everyone who posted in the forums. It's great. And there's so many details in the forums. We can't really get it at all over here, um, over the air, but uh, our own 5x5 five five and Jamel and ARW, thank you for posting that. And thank you for Stu and Kim for joining in the chat. Uh, John, Rob, Chris, Website Amp, Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack and Casino. All right, we'll see you all again soon, folks. Thanks.